Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll talk high school football with Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder as we get you set for week one of the season. Well, the Saratoga meet is over, and what a great meet it was. Uh, fans were back at the uh, stands and uh, at Saratoga. And to talk about the uh, season at Saratoga as a sports writer for the Daily Gazette, who did a wonderful job covering the track for the Gazette, Mike McAdam. Mike, uh, welcome back for the final time talking horse racing this, uh, for the Saratoga. Not necessarily. We'll have to come back like uh, when Breeders' Cup comes up, comes around uh, in November. But for now, yeah, we're moving on to other things because the the 153rd Saratoga meet is in the books. So, yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, just your overall thoughts about coming off the pandemic. We had no fans last year. Just what was the excitement level like uh, during the eight weeks? Um, I've said this before. um, Last year was very bizarre and weird for us in the media because the few of us in the media who still cover the sport because we showed up every day and there was nobody there and there was nothing to differentiate between a wednesday you know middle of the meet kind of lousy card with no real exciting stakes race and the travers day itself where there was you know the usual ton of great stakes action including the travers so it was hard to like tell the difference between a Wednesday in the middle of the meet and Travers Day because nobody was there. And you just walked in and kind of covered the races and went home. And this year, obviously, the fans were back and it was great. We were back to normal. And, you know, my prediction of 40000 on opening day, you know, certainly <laughs> fell flat like most of my uh, wagers did. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, they still had 28000 whatever it was, and they averaged – um, 26, six or something like that per day. Um, I was talking to some people. One thing that was kind of interesting from a fan total standpoint, and they did get 44,000 for Travers day, but it seemed like the midweek cards drew like pretty good, like higher numbers than you would normally expect. And the weekends were sort of, you know, at their normal level, but it's just, I, and I don't really have a good explanation for that, but it was kind of interesting that like the midweek stuff was, little busier than it usually is um which i think we can take that as a sign that people were just fired up to be back and they kind of picked their spots of when they were going to be there and not necessarily loading up on the weekend so um from a fan perspective and they got to see a ton of great stuff they really did especially on traverse day but throughout the meet um they were really treated to the usual um all-star appearances and kind of cool stuff and things you wouldn't expect, especially since, you know, this is the time of year when the two-year-olds kind of the really, really good two-year-olds show their stuff because, you know, Saratoga has a bunch of, um, suddenly on the, the, the calendar for two-year-olds, there's a bunch of big graded stakes races. So um, I think all those factors kind of played into, um, you know, Saratoga being back where where it's supposed to be from a uh, fan attendance standpoint. Yeah, over one million paid attendance for the sixth year in a row. If you throw out twenty twenty, uh, all sorts. Yeah, of not hand- counting last year, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. All, all all sources handle record with over eight hundred fifteen million in bets. The previous record was seven hundred uh, seven hundred five million in twenty nineteen. So it seemed like it was just a great bounce back year for Saratoga. Yeah, and they didn't really. <clears throat> 
you know, from a handle standpoint, it wasn't really a bounce back year because they did get over seven hundred million last year. They, I think it was like seven hundred two. So they still had a very lucrative betting meet last year, despite the fact that there were no fans, um, you know, on the premises. And that's a sign of the times these days that you know you can you can wager on this stuff on your phone and you know on your laptop and remotely, and you don't really need to um, you know actually physically be there to to wager. Um, so that that's a reflection of that, um, and, and it's a reflection of how strong the Saratoga brand is. That they had over seven hundred million in all sources handle last year, and then this year absolutely crushed it. It should be noted that in two thousand nineteen, the first time they ever went over seven hundred million, that they did lose an entire racing day because of a heat wave, and then they lost like most of another card because this crazy thunderstorm came through there and kind of washed out the, the rest of the card. So it was more like 38 and a half days instead of 40 days in 2019. But still, if, if, if those two things hadn't happened, it would have been 700 whatever million. And this year blew the doors off with 815. It's a reflection of two things. Again, um, you know, you can bet remotely, but also this, more importantly, the strength of the Saratoga brand as a betting product. Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a look at some of the highlights from uh, the meet. Uh, Mechanicville's Chad Brown wins his fourth training title, and Luis Saez breaks the hold of the Ortiz brothers on the uh, with the jockey title after the Ortiz brothers won the last six titles uh, for Saez's first riding title. I mean, how much of an upset was that, uh, taking the title um, from Ortiz? Yeah, it was a little bit of an upset because the, the Ortiz brothers have been putting the Mwachi crunch on the Saratoga meet for the last six years. Chad wasn't really that surprising, and he had a clinch pretty early. Uh, Michael Maker was leading the trainer standings for like the first five weeks or five or six weeks or whatever it was, and all of a sudden Chad had this blowout weekend where he had eight winners over the course of two days and blew past Maker like he was standing still, and then it was over. So there was no drama or fireworks in the trainer standing. The jockey standings we thought was going to not be interesting because Luis Saez had – you know, a 58-45 uh, win lead over Irad Ortiz going into the last week of the meet, you know, the last six days. And the big question was whether he was going to um, tie or break Ramon Dominguez's meet record of 68 wins. And <laughs> all of a sudden, Luis just, like, got really, really cold, and Irad got you know, hot as you would expect them to. And then it became a question of whether Luis was actually going to hang on to his lead and forget about the Dominguez record. Um, he had a goose egg like three out of the first four days that going into that last uh, six-week segment. And then he, then he, for our sake, um, conveniently won a couple or three or whatever it was on Sunday to make it not, you know, go down to the last minute and uh, pulled it off. The final numbers for uh, Luis were... 64 to 56 for IRAD. Um, I think that's only the third or fourth time anybody's had 60 wins. And, of course, the, like I already mentioned, the record is 68 for Ramon Dominguez. Good for Luis Saez. And the other cool thing behind that whole story was the Friday, the day before the Travers, he, you know, and Luis was, was riding every race pretty much every day. And... And for a variety of different trainers, um, a lot of people gave him work. You know, Irad and Jose Ortiz kind of get, like, all of the good Chad Brown horses and a couple other trainers that really kind of 
business. And Luis, meanwhile, he's all over the map. He he rides for everybody, and he rides every race like he's going to win. But that Friday before the Travers, he rides the whole card. It was probably 11 races or 10 races or whatever it was, 12, and gets on a private plane and flies to Charlestown uh, Racetrack in West Virginia, rides Art Collector, who had won the Ali Dar earlier in the meet in the $800,000 Charlestown Classic and wins it. And then he's back in Saratoga on that same private plane by 1230 that night. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> then rides the whole Travers card. And his his agent, Kieran McLaughlin, longtime trainer, um, spending his agent for the last couple of years, was like, ah, I hope Luis uh, isn't working any horses Saturday morning because <laughs> he needs his sleep. And he got his sleep, and then he wound up winning the Travers on uh, – uh, essential quality who uh, of course was one of the stars of the meet so apparently that quick little uh, getaway to West Virginia didn't affect uh, Luis uh, certainly not in his Travers but it was kind of cool to see somebody different win it for a change because mm-hmm. Irad and Jose have dominated it for the last six years and it's such a deep jockey quality and uh, or colony and um, and Luis has certainly has been somebody who has been on the rise the last few years and, and deservedly won the title this year. Well, uh, Steve Asmussen uh, did not win the trainer's title, but he had a, he had a great meet. He broke the North American record for all-time career victories, and he had a fabulous uh, closing weekend in which he won the Great One Stakes on three straight days with Max Player yeah. in the Jockey Gold Cup, Echo Zulu in the Spinaway, and uh, Gennate, I, I and hopeful. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Yep. Um, yeah, and he doesn't come here to win the training title. He comes here to win the big races, and he sure did that this year. He won five grade ones over the course of the meet and then really finished with a flourish the last weekend. Um, Echo Zulu, the two-year-old who won the spinaway, probably put together one of the most impressive performances of the whole meet, um, winning by four lengths or whatever it was, and, and but posting like 22 seconds for the first quarter mile, 44 for the first half mile, and which are, is very fast time for those fractions. And then, but finishing it off, um, you know, not paying any kind of price for the, you know, how fast she went early. Um, she's one you're really, really going to want to watch next year um, when she's a three-year-old gunite. Um, benefited from the fact that Witt, who had won the Sanford earlier in the meet and who I still think is probably the best two-year-old that we saw at Saratoga this season, um, really had a bad stumble at the start of the uh, hopeful, which Gunite benefited from not taking anything away from Gunite because, um, you know, he ran great and didn't actually have such a great start himself. Um, he won by five and a quarter or five-plus lengths. Now, Witt did very well from last place after that bad start to get up for second. Um, and then uh, Max Player was the other one that won the Jockey Club Gold Cup on the weekend. So, boom, 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 three days in a row. Steve Asmussen won grade one races, and Max Player kind of reestablished himself as a major player in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic uh, picture, which will happen in uh, the first Saturday in November. Yep. Uh, Essential Quality and uh, Malathot did a great job in solidifying their statuses as the best three old male and uh, female horses in the United States. Yeah, and Malathot to this day, um, and again, I, I kind of compare it to Zenyatta getting beaten by blame in the Bleeder, uh, Breeders' Cup Classic, um, where I kind of had more respect, I gained more respect for the great Zenyatta in losing in the way that she did 
then if she had won by like three or four lengths, and I say the same thing about Malathot when she got beat by the coaching club American Oaks uh, earlier in the meet where she just got tag-teamed. Uh, we've talked about this before and still man- almost managed to win anyway. And then she came back and validated her status in the Alabama by dominating. She's just great. Uh, Essential Quality was a horse that we followed all throughout the meet because um, he's the best he, had, he was coming off a win in the Belmont Stakes. He had finished uh, fourth, but only a length behind Medina Spirit in the Kentucky Derby. And he came here and he won the Jim Dandy and the Travers in typical essential quality fashion, short margin, um, kind of grinding away and being the best horse in the race, but not like in dominating fashion if you're looking at like lengths of victory. Um, you know, he always wins like by a half a length or a head or something like that. But he wins. He, he's only lost one race in the, his whole career, and it was the Kentucky Derby. So, um, yeah, um, three-year-old Philly and three-year-old male are two big divisions that a lot of people follow because, you know, they run in the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown races and everything. And right now, um, Fan de Saratoga got to see the best of both of those divisions. Um, and now I thought, I, I almost think, is a little – more head and shoulders above the rest of her division than essential quality is which sounds strange because essential quality really has done nothing wrong um but just the fact that he's he's always his wins are always very close malathot is is just like kind of dominates and you know she she ran into some weird circumstances in that cca oak so but we got to see both of them and and it's it's they're both going to be tough to knock off for uh, end of season um, championships. I mean, basically, some three-year-old is going to have to, I think, win the Breeders' Cup Classic to knock essential quality out of the top spot in that division. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Breeders' Cup Classic earlier. Of course, we should mention Nick's go, the Whitney winner. So, I mean, that, that Breeders' Cup Classic is going to look pretty good. Yeah, it is. And the interesting thing, and I looked this up, um, the winner of, like, Saratoga is usually a pretty good indicator, not an indicator of who's going to win the the um, Breeders' Cup Classic, but if you went to the meet at some point during either the Whitney or the Woodward, there's a good chance that you saw the eventual Breeders' Cup Classic winner, and I firmly believe that, and and the rankings kind of bear this out right now, that um, actually the top three candidates to win the Breeders' Cup Classic all came through Saratoga, and we're talking about Nick's go who won the uh, Whitney Max player, who I already mentioned, had won the uh, Jockey Club Gold Cup and Essential Quality winning the Travers. Um, interesting, of course, that Nick's go and Essential Quality are stable mates in the trainer Brad Cox's barn, who had a breakout meet and has had a breakout um, last couple of years. He won the Eclipse Award for the best, most outstanding trainer in North America last year, and this is the first year that he was physically here for the whole meet usually he ships stuff in has a couple stalls but you know ships a lot of his stuff in from kentucky and this year he really used saratoga as a home base for the meet and it paid off with essential quality and nick's go um i mentioned the research i did already going back the last 10 breeders cup classics um the winner of the breeders cup classic the last 10 years has raced at saratoga eight out of ten times not necessarily won. The only ones who have actually won were um, who won at Saratoga and the Breeders' Cup Classic were Gunrunner. We already mentioned it was Sired Gunite and Echo Zulu. Um, 
won the Whitney and the Woodward in 2017 when he won Horse of the Year. Arrogate won the Travers and Track Record Time in 2016. And Fort Larned, way back in 2012, won the Whitney. Other than that, there's been a bunch of horses who have raced at Saratoga but haven't necessarily won here and then went on to win uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic. So the meet is usually... Kind in some weird way, kind of an indicator who's going to win that race. And but this year, I think I, I would be shocked if one of those three didn't win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Nick's go, Max Player, and Essential Quality. And as we wrap this up, we should also give a shout out to a Gazette photographer, Erica Miller, who does a wonderful job uh, with uh, the, taking the pictures and getting some great yep. shots. Yeah, she. Um, uh, Erica is on call. She loves being there. She loves shooting the track. And if that means being there at 530 in the morning, uh, like we did multiple times last year with Tis the Law, um, breezing every Saturday at 530. We did we pulled that stunt a couple times this year, too, um, and just gets wonderful photos and kind of knows the lay of the land. And, you know, one of her favorite things she said to me on closing day was she likes to go, like every year she likes to go, out to the grandstand turn and get a shot of the horses from behind as they go around the bend and are, you know, approaching the grandstand. You can see the whole grandstand and clubhouse, and that's kind of like a good metaphor for the meet closing. So she went and got one of those shots and put it in a gallery, um, which uh, was just one small part of her wonderful work that she's done for us the whole meet and we're, i'm very thankful to have her not just because she's a good shooter but she's a good person and um kind of understands that um if i call her or tell her the day before uh yeah we need to be there at like 20 after five in the morning um she absolutely has no problem with that and embraces that assignment and then we go and do our thing and we get we get it done so shout out to Erica for sure. Uh, Mike, appreciate the eight weeks we talked horse racing, and uh, we'll have, you know, probably get uh, get closer to the Breeders' Cup. We'll talk about that, and uh, I'll give you a little break now from the podcast. All right. Thanks a million, Ken. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, that's Mike McAdam coming up. We'll talk high school football with the Gazette's Adam Schinder. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The NASCAR season is here. And it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to DailyGazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. And you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The high school football season kicked off week zero last week with a couple of games, but we get into full swing this week with uh, week one. And to join us to uh, talk about that is Gazette Sports Writer Adam Schinder. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be here. Well, you were at the uh, CBA LaSalle game last week. Uh, what was that like, a new a CBA victory and a coaching debut for uh, Burns? Yeah, it was uh, interesting. It was uh, 
First off, just a good thing to be back there and see a, a crowd at a high school football game on a Friday night. It was a bit of a bizarre game. You got two teams coming in off of two weeks of practice with no scrimmage. Uh, so the week zero games from teams that played essentially serves as a preseason game, replaces the scrimmage. So it was sloppy. There were a half dozen turnovers. There were probably 20-plus penalties. Uh, ultimately, uh, a nice debut for a CBA team uh, under new coach Bobby Burns coming off a really successful uh, six seasons at Troy. We lost four games combined, won a couple of state championships, probably would have won another one uh, last year if there had been state championships. Uh, CBA team really struggled out of the gate on offense, broke through late in the first half, really uh, seemed to have something in their sophomore sort of wildcat quarterback, Donald Jones. But uh, with only a handful of games being played in that week zero, this week is when we really start to learn what teams look like. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but we also have to mention last week was the first game between Gloversville and Johnstown in, uh, since 2018, and uh, Gloversville uh, took care of business there. Yeah, those those Fulton County rivals is one of the great historic rivalries in Section Two, uh, as was uh, CBA LaSalle, which undoubtedly has the best uh, prize <laughs> in any game when you're playing for a sword. Uh, I, I can I can support any of that, but Gloversville and Johnstown, uh, big big win for Gloversville just to get that rivalry trophy back. Uh, tough for, uh, tough first loss for uh, for new Johnstown coach Paul Furman, but Gloversville after a uh, after a really tough fall too. Uh, nice for them to just get back on a winning, winning track to start. Well, it's kind of nice to have some normalcy again, as you mentioned, the crowds and you know, playing football when it's supposed to be played in the fall and not in the spring. So I think uh, it seems like everybody's excited. Everyone's excited, of course. Uh, we still can't really escape uh, the specter of this already. We've had a couple of week one games uh, lost due to COVID protocols. Schenectady had to call off their game against LaSalle this week. Uh, Green Tech lost both a week zero game and this and their week one game against Glens Falls. Uh so things are probably going to be like this for a little while, but we are back to a point where we're playing high school football in the fall. We're playing in front of crowds. It's nice to, it's nice to see, and you hope that things stay as on track as they can throughout uh, the next two, couple of months. Well, let's take a look at the uh, week one schedule. At least the Friday, uh, what stands out for you? Uh, what really stands out, the big thing with the Class AA league schedule not starting till next week, you got a lot of really interesting non-classification matchups uh, between a couple of uh, really traditional powers. So Queensbury had a really rough fall, too. Uh, really couldn't get on the field for a while. They match up against the Shenandoah team that came a really close to a Super Bowl appearance uh, last year. Burnhills and Shaker, two uh, runners-up in their respective, respective classes last year. Burnhills uh, had a pretty young team last year really did not match up uh, well against a Troy team that no one matched up well yeah. against last year. Shaker looked, until the Super, the uh, Class AA championship against Gilderland, like they were head and shoulders above most of that class uh, before Gilderland came in and knocked them off. So Shaker's really been a really consistently strong program. That'll be a great Week 1 game. And then the game that everyone would have wanted to see at the end of April, beginning of May last year, Gilderland versus Troy is a week one game this year. Just a little bit different now that Troy has lost their head coach, Bobby Burns. That was a super senior-heavy team and uh, doesn't really carry quite the cachet as, as it was a year ago when the Troy kids on the field were basically calling for, for Gilderland because they couldn't go to a state playoff. <laughs> they wanted a chance to prove they were the best team in Section 2. Yeah. Um, it's just the, I, I, I like the fact that we're playing, like I said, we're playing again. Some, as you said, great matchups. Uh, 
but I guess what concerns me is that we mentioned two games already postponed because of COVID. Do you think we're going to see more of this? Because obviously, you know, there's still that the Delta variant. You wonder if we still got people you know, thinking, yeah. There, there are going to be games canceled throughout the season, uh, just because of the way protocols work. You know, two teams are going to have to, you know, be, if a kid tests positive, there aren't vaccinated, there aren't enough vaccinated kids who have to be placed in quarantine. All of a sudden. You don't have enough kids to play a game. A lot of teams, you'll see it a good amount more probably in the smaller school ranks, just uh, where a lot of teams are struggling to put 16 eligible players on the field anyway. Uh, you get one or you get one you get one kid who affects a half dozen other kids, and all of a sudden you're down for a week, possibly two, depending on when those positive tests come out. So, yeah, I think you're you're going to see it. I don't think you'll see it at a scale that you did uh, in fall two when we seemingly just didn't know who was playing who yeah. uh, from week to week. But it's something you have to deal with for, for at least a little while. I know there are a number of districts that are requiring vaccines for athletes uh, in high-risk sports, but you just, you're not going to be sure. It's still going to be a world of uncertainty, but I think we're at a point where it's a little more stable uh, at this point, and Hopefully, it doesn't have the the domino effect yeah. that it did in spring. Yeah, you're going to be covering the Colony of Boston Spa game on Friday. What do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Boston Spa had a nice uh, week zero win against uh, against Bethlehem. Came out. Boston Spa was a team played middle of the pack last year. A, a good solid program. Uh, Colony was a team that's had some some ups ups and downs over the last few years. It's a Really, these these class A versus double A games this first week, it's just a good gauge to see where both teams are. If a class A team comes up and beats any class double A team, then it's a nice feather in their cap. If a class double and when the class double A team, you know, if it's a class double A team that that is, you know, needs a little bit of, of an identity check, you know, a game against a class A team, if they come out, they play well, they can set themselves on a on a good path without having to run into one of their, their tough double A foes. Opening week of the season. All right, so right now we don't have the power rankings as they'll start next week, I, I would believe, and uh, we'll talk about more of that next week. Obviously, Michael Kelly mm-hmm. will be working on that as well. So yeah, you know, we'll be all today between you and him the, during the during the season here. So we'll have some fun with this. Yeah, we'll be able to uh, really sort of see. You know, next week after this week, we'll have a good idea of where teams start to go. It'll really be next week that the the after after two weeks after a game's you know division play opens. It'll be a little bit easier to see how teams are defining themselves this year. You start to get some of those really good, uh, you know, division early season matchups that'll give you an idea. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple of, of, of solid other games this week. You know, you got a, a Class C championship game rematch with Skylerville and Hoosick Falls Tamarack. Skylerville looked incredible in their week, their week zero game against Hudson. So uh, you've got, you know, this. These first three, these first two weeks of this regular season will really start to show you uh, what to look for in October and November. Well, I'd appreciate a few minutes and have some fun covering your game. That's it. Glad to be here. Very excited to get back out on the field. All right, that's Adam Schindler of the Gazette. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. 
Predict the winners of the weekly games via your YouPick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com football. The You Pick a Football contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Albany Empire quarterback Tommy Grady. You're listening to Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The NFL season kicked off Thursday, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McGadam and Adam Schinder for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.